John Grisdale's life took a sudden twist for the worst about four and a half years ago when a horse ran over backwards with him in the mounting yard at Kembla Grange. The first diagnosis offered was a severe sprain of the left ankle, but the doctors had missed a hairline fracture of the fibula and a couple of mornings later, as John was leaping onto the back of a horse, the affected bone snapped like a carrot. He announced his retirement from race riding and it was 12 months before he started riding track work again. The left leg felt fine, the weight started to fall off him and 16 months ago he decided on a comeback. He started riding horses trained by his wife Donna but as the winners started to flow again and the old Grisdale touch returned he began to pick up rides for other stables. And now at age 54, John Grisdale has never enjoyed his work more. John, thanks for joining us and uh, congratulations on the job you've done. It's only been 16 months and you've ridden plenty of winners. Yeah, thank you, Tabby. It's been really good since I've been, since I've been back and everything's gone leaps and bounds. John, you must be inspired by jockeys like Jeff Lloyd in Brisbane. He's rising 57 and our old mate Robert Thompson, who has actually turned 60, both are still winning races on a regular basis. They sure are. They sure are, Tappy, and, and, and I'm winning races too, so which is a good thing, so age is no barrier. Your wife of 10 years, Donna, has a small team in work at Kembla, and she's turned out plenty of winners too in her six years of training. Yeah, she's done very well for a small team that she's got, um, Johnny, and, and she does a good job. What's her background, John? She did work for the late Jack Denham for a long time. Yeah, she was actually a foreman for Jack Denham for 10 years, and uh, he, he spoke very highly of Donna. Um, then she, when she left Jack, she ended up being riding work for Chris Wallace, so she's got plenty of knowledge there. Is she a tough taskmaster from a jockey's viewpoint? Very much so. She'll let you know she'd run a bad race, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Comes at you with her ears pinned back. (laughs) Yeah, sure does. (laughs) You know, John, uh, I often think uh, trainers shouldn't make a comment about a jockey's ride on the day. There's too much passion bubbling over at that point, that point in time. It's far better to go home, look at the video replay, and quite often it's not what you thought in the first place. You're a hundred percent right there, Johnny. You know, sometimes at the heat of the moment, they some trainers will have some bad words about your ride and things like that. But uh, if they go back and watch the replay, it's not so bad. Sometimes. Have you had a few gobfuls in your career? Oh, you always get them. I, I suppose <laughs> every jockey's had those sort of things happen to them in the race. It's a split second decision in races. Sometimes we make the wrong one, and sometimes we make the right one. So it is what it is. Easily the best horse Donna has trained was a horse called Skip Course. He won five from 14. He looked very promising, but the fairy tale came to an end when he severely injured a leg at Rose Hill one day, about two years ago. Yes, that's correct, Johnny. It, it was probably her best horse, and she she absolutely adored the horse. It was, it was devastating when, it, when he actually broke down. It was a very, uh, very hard time at, at the time. Outside stables have been putting you on again, and you got to ride a very good horse not long ago, Dark Dream, for Kerry Parker. You won a maiden on Dark Dream at Maruya, 
Only seven months ago, did you feel that day, did he give you any feel that might indicate he was Group 1 material? He did. He did, he did um, show me some good promise. He was very raw when I rode him and first started in the race, and he, he dog he dogfighted to the finish. You know, he really, really dug deep and, and won the race. But when I rode him at Ramwick, the following start over 1,800 at um, at Ramwick, mm. and um, he run second, and it was just a phenomenal run. It was, I said, well, you got yourself a very good horse here, Kerry. Mm. And as time went on, I said, well, this horse is a derby horse. Oh, did you? Yes. Well, nothing wrong with your judgment. I've been on a few good ones, Johnny. I, you, you, you get the feel for them, you know? John, not everybody realises that John Grisdale is a pom. Born in 1964 at a place called Barrow in Furness, which is a part of Lancashire, and you were four years old when your late father Les and your mum Barbara and two siblings came by ship to Australia to start a new life. Your dad was a painter, decorator and a very good one and it didn't take him long to get a job. No, he, as soon as he got to Australia, he had work straight away. Johnny, once he, when he landed in Australia, he found work straight away and, and worked as a painter and decorator all his, all his life. Can you remember anything about that sea voyage at age four? Well, I, I can actually. Uh, we, it was a long voyage, uh, and I got very sick on it. I used, <laughs> I got tonsillitis, and mm. yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Must seem a long time ago, John. In fact, it is fifty years ago, and I shouldn't remind you of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> you were small and light. And in 1979, you decided on a career in racing. You became indentured to a wonderful old character, Bede Horan, a very wily and astute old trainer at Rose Hill. He was to become your master. And, John, you'd never been on a horse in your life. Never even ridden a pony in my life that, before I went to Bede Horan. And they taught me how to ride. And, and I, was, I was indentured in for about six years. And... Mm. God, he was a wonderful man, wonderful wasn't he? man. Wasn't he a great yeah. old bloke? He often took horses to the bush, John, in those days, looking for the right race, and you actually cut your teeth riding on the country tracks. Yes, that is correct. We used to go to, uh, we used to go all over the western, sub, over the west area, and used to take a truck full of horses, and I'd be riding all of them, you know, and we mm. had a lot of, lot of success. He came from the Western Districts originally, didn't he? He did. He came from Wellington. Uh, then mm. he, he got a horse called Pardon Me, and, and, and that took that horse took him to Sydney, and he was there for many, many, many years. Yeah, Pardon Me was probably the best horse he ever trained, actually, John, although Grey Owl came along later, and he was a good sprinter too. But Pardon Me was a huge horse. I'm sure Bede would have told you all about him, and he was a terrific weight carrier. I think he won a race, uh, a high-weight handicap in Sydney with 10 stone on one occasion. He must have been a very good horse to be carrying that sort of weight, John. Yeah, he was, mate, and a big, big lump of a horse. John Bede Horan was one of very few horsemen that I've ever met who didn't swear. Now, when he wanted to berate something, he'd call it, he had a quaint expression, he'd call it a cow of a thing. A 500-kilo horse could stand on Bede's foot 
and he would politely say, get off me, you cow of a thing. Yeah, that was his swear word. <laughs> he was a funny sort of a character. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly was. That's about as strong as his language ever got. He sure did. He sure did. That's why I say he was such a gentleman. You know, he he, he knew he knew how to speak, and he just ne- there was never ever a swear word come out of his mouth. No, you know, most horsemen learn to swear at an early age. John, you go to the track in the morning, you can hear them cussing all over the place. Oh, you sure do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had a terrific apprenticeship, and in one season. I'm pretty sure you ran second in the Apprentices Premiership to a bloke called Darren Beedman. Fancy running into him. Yes, I, I, I was an apprentice at the same time as Darren. Darren was a champion apprentice and I always run second to him. <laughs> <laughs> in the races and in the Premiership. <laughs> oh, I beat him a few times on the track, but, yeah. <laughs> but no, he, he was a fantastic jockey. I recall a Wednesday meeting at Canterbury where you rode four winners which was pretty impressive for a young apprentice at the time, and you weren't all that far into the indentureship at that stage. It was good enough for Channel 9 News to ask me to come out to Horan Stables the next day and do a little story on you for the news. Do you recall that? I do recall that, Johnny. It was one of the best days of my racing career. It it just fell into place the whole day. And uh, I do recall you when you come over and done an interview. I was I looked like a little little schoolboy. <laughs> <laughs> I looked like a seasoned commentator even then. <laughs> now, John, some time later, as a fully fledged jockey, you were for quite a while number three rider for the powerful Nebo Lodge Stable at Rose Hill. Uh, which was controlled and owned by Millie Fox, by Bob LaPointe and, of course, Robert Sengster. Now, Brian Mayfield-Smith was the trainer and if Jim Cassidy was unavailable or suspended or Nigel Tiley uh, wasn't available for a particular horse, you would usually pick up that ride. Yes, that's correct, John. Brian was very good to me. Uh, I, even, you know, if I, if I wasn't riding in town, We'd be going to Kembla or Newcastle and and, and and so on, and I'd be on those sort of horses. Um, but he was very good to me, and I wrote a lot of winners for him. He was he was a very good trainer. Uh, he had a hundred horses in work, mm. so there was always plenty of rides. Now, John, he surprised you one day when he told you that you were going to ride a horse of his that he had a big opinion of in the Silver Slipper at Rose Hill in 1986. Now, the slipper was then run in the October, about five months or so, six months before the golden slipper. The horse was marauding, and he did win the slipper the following autumn. You rode him in the silver. Did he feel like a golden slipper prospect the day you rode him? You ran second to Mays Cay from the Denham Stable. Johnny, this horse, that marauding, he had gears. No matter what you'd done to him, he just wanted to go forward the whole time. He was a very big lump of a horse as a two-year-old, and uh, if you recall the slipper win, the golden slipper win, Ron Quinton rode him, he bars his way out, and he could do anything on that horse, and he was just so good. He was a very good horse. He barged his way out all right. I think Ronnie got a month. 
Yeah, well, Ronnie Quinton used to say, well, you do, you had to do what you had to do. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, I always felt it was half Ron's fault and half the horse because when he pulled that left rein, marauding just overreacted and he, he barged out, as you said. He sure did, Johnny. It was a fantastic win. He's all, you know, he, from day one, he just showed so much potential. He was, as you said, so big. He didn't look a natural two-year-old, did he? No, he actually looked like a three-year-old, mm. uh, and but he was he was so muscle. His mm. muscle on on that horse was unbelievable. Great athlete, wasn't he? He was great sure athlete. Was. Now, John, the Tramway Handicap. I remember you winning that race one day on a pretty good horse from the bush called Movil Peter, trained by a great character, John O. Johnson from Orange. Yes, and there was a. a very exciting day. He, he was about, I think he was about 150 to one. He come from last at Randwick, stormed home down the outside, and, and got the got the tramway. Mm. Well, he was a pretty good little horse. He, was, he started in the bush and he come to Sydney. Every time he come to Sydney, he, he put in and run really good races. John O. Johnson must have been a very good judge, you know. Uh, he'd sneak to town every now and again, and, and if they didn't win, they'd go very close. Yeah, I've actually rode a lot of winners for John O. Johnson in town uh, when he brought them to town. Mm. Uh, I remember one day uh, a horse called Total Love. Yeah. It was a the track was an absolute bog, and you couldn't see my face for mud. Mm. He said, but he got home, and but God, he was a he was a very good trainer. He was a you know he always he come from Orange. Mm. He used to bring his horses to Sydney, and, and yeah, they'll be competitive. He seemed to know exactly the right time to bring them here, though, didn't he? He sure did. He, he knew his horses. He knew his horses. He knew when they were right. John, what about a horse called Mount Verde? He won a listed race, I think, over a Golden Slipper Carnival, trained by John Wemmon. Yeah, that was an exciting day again. Uh, he, he was a, he, I, I think he won a hell of a lot of races, that horse, and, and I had, and I was on his back most of his uh, most of his wins, mm. and he he did win that. Um, he won the Sweep of Essence. That's a race, um, yeah. On on uh, Golden Slipper Day, and it was it was exciting. You had a terrific run for a, a lot of years on the Country Cup circuit. Uh, you won them everywhere. You won Bathurst Cups and South Grafton Cups, Orange Cup, Dubbo, everywhere. Everywhere you can think of, you were there, and if you didn't win, you went very close. Yes, I, I used to, I'm always been a, a country boy at heart. I, I always loved riding in the country, and, and I was lucky enough to win a lot of country races, country cup main, uh, races. Another terrific bush horse that you rode was called Tora, Tora, Tora. Uh, that was the name of a great movie uh, in later years uh, concerning the uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbour. And this horse uh, uh, launched a few raids himself, trained by Tom Mulholland. Yeah, Tommy, Tommy used to take his to uh, mark him for all the country cups and all that. And geez, he he done a tremendous job. He, he won so many country cups with him. He was a, he was a little dogfighter, he was. You liked him. Oh, he was, a, he was a workhorse. He was just—he tried his heart out every time he went round. Your life was turned upside down in the late 1980s when you became seriously ill with a condition called endocarditis, which is an infection of the inner lining of the heart. Uh, quite rare, uh, very serious, 
very debilitating and it knocked you around badly. Yes, it did, Johnny. I was off for oh, a long, long time. I reckon it was about oh, 12 to 14 months, you know, mm. uh, with that sickness. But that that almost killed me, that one. Uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, but they, luckily enough, the doctors got it right and fixed me up, And but it did take a long time. I did lose a kidney out of it, uh, yeah. from it, because uh, it just put bacteria all over me body mm-hmm. and it put an aneurysm on the kidney and then the doctor said we'll have to take the kidney out but um, mm-hmm. I've only had since then I've only worked on one kidney and it's been fine and there's no legacy of that sickness today John no legacy at all touch wood you've written for many many high profile trainers during your career John Hawks Brian Mayfield Smith Jack Denham and a stack of others and another trainer who puts you on regularly during his early years at Rose Hill was Chris Waller. Yeah, I had a lot of success with Chris Waller and, and, and co. Um, I, unfortunately, I wasn't riding for Chris now. Now, I wish I was. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I had a lot of success with him. Uh, he's a fantastic trainer. Well, everyone knows that now, just the, the records that show it. Mm. But, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to ride for some really good trainers, John Hawks, Jack Denham, Brian Mayfield-Smith and, and co. Mm. Even Brian's brother, Noel Mayfield-Smith, you know. Mm. Uh, they, I just rode for, for a lot of time for those top trainers. Yeah. John, getting back to Chris Waller, did you see anything at that time uh, in his methods, in his approach, uh, the way he did things, the way he went about his business – that would have indicated to you that he would have the success that he's had in recent years? Well, well he's always, anything different about him? No, he's always been a smart trainer. Um, he, he just, he's just kept going forward and his team got bigger and bigger and bigger as time went by. And uh, once, once he started training for the, the Inghams and co, he just became so successful and, he, and he's a very good trainer. When Bob Ingham disbanded Crown Lodge, uh, he went to the yearling sales the following year and he bought uh, quite a number of fashionably bred yearlings. He really didn't know who he was going to give them to. He settled on Chris Waller, and Chris to this day will tell you that that was the turning point in his career. Oh, no doubt by that. Yeah, no doubt at all. But, uh, you know, good horses make good jockeys and good trainers. Uh, but you just got to still be able to use your tools of, of the trade yeah. and to get those horses to win, and he's done that. I think he started with eight horses, John. I seem to recall when he first set up shop at Rose Hill, he had eight horses in the place. Yes, that's exactly right. And just and as time went by, uh, when I remember he, he used to, we used to go to Newcastle of a Saturday and he said, oh, God, this this job's hard, mm. but now now look at Chris Waller now. You know, he's the leading <laughs> trainer in the world, just about. <laughs> he's going pretty good. <laughs> My word, he is. Well, John, been a delight, mate. I appreciate your time. Congratulations on what has been a very successful and fruitful comeback. And I can see you three or four years from now doing what Robert Thompson and Jeff Lloyd are doing, greeting the well, judge with regular monotony. Well, we hope so, Johnny. We'll just, just, just go out there and ride as many winners as I possibly can. Great to talk to you, John. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, John.